Sometimes I think it's good for us to do that and to build things throughout the day on what was taught earlier in an earlier session <coughs> in the preaching time. First Thessalonians chapter number 5, Paul writes this book to the church at Thessalonica to exhort them uh, to continue to grow in the grace and the doctrine that he had taught them and their walk with the Lord. He uh, gave it to them to uh, commend them on their steadfastness. And then lastly, he gave it to them to bring a comfort to them uh, regarding uh, those that had passed on ahead of time. And we come to chapter 5, and we find a lot of the exhortation that he gives of, of things that he's encouraging them in, that they don't uh, get stagnant, that they abound in it, that they continue to grow in these things and to expand them, to allow God to do the work uh, that He so desires to do in the hearts of people. And uh, as we get to the end, He deals in the first part of chapter 5 with the, the last days, the day of the Lord and, and the second coming and the wrath that's going to come. <coughs> and He does this so that when He gives the exhortation, that the exhortation is based upon uh, looking at and keeping in mind and living with the idea in mind uh, of the rapture and the end-time events, to seeing those things that ought to be a motivation to us. I, when I, we were teaching on um, Revelation, we spent uh, about three or four months, I believe it was, on uh, that particular book uh, going through it. And, you know, prophecy, a lot of times when we deal with prophecy in Scripture, um, People say, boy, that's very interesting. And we like to hear about prophecy, and it teaches us some things. But there is a there is a benefit to hearing about prophecy. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so all of it, is, it says, is profitable to us in doctrine and reproof and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And it perfects us. It, it, it equips us. It, it, uh, the Bible says it furnishes us that a man of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. So prophecy has a purpose. And uh, it's not just for us to know and to, to, to see some things. Number one, it's to bring great comfort to us as God's people. It provides peace for us. It gives us great comfort. But it also ought to bring great conviction to us. Uh, it ought to motivate us. It ought to motivate us in a couple of areas. Number one, that we live our life day by day uh, with the full expectation that Christ could come at any moment. And it ought to affect the way we live. Uh, the second thing is uh, it ought to affect is the way we serve, our labor for the Lord. Uh, we ought to be convicted of these things. These are things that prophecy ought to do for us. That when we realize uh, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it can happen at any moment, any time. Uh, it, ought to, it ought to stir us in those areas. And so... He does this because he's going to exhort them about how they're to live their life, some things that they should be uh, incorporating, the, their attitude towards things, the way they ought to be handling things, and then some practical things that they ought to be doing and living in. And so I want us to look at what we're going to deal with today in light of eternity, in light of the fact that the Lord's coming at any moment, uh, that that ought to be one of the stimulating and motivating things that causes us to take heed to the things that Paul writes about here to the church at Thessalonica. We're going to begin reading uh, in uh, verse number uh, uh, verse number 5. 
of chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 5. Paul writes this, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, there's two things that he gives us here. I want you to note those. We're going to come back to them here in just a moment. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify uh, one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil, but unto any man... uh, Excuse me. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, notice this, who also will do it. God never calls you to something that He's not going to perform it in you and give you the ability to do it. He may call you to do something you don't know you can do, but He will enable you to do it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message once again this afternoon. And speak to our hearts. I pray that you'll help us to rightly divide this passage of Scripture. That it will be a great help to us in our walk, our daily lives. Things that will be practical, that we can grab a hold of and embrace and put into practice. Day in and day out. Lord, not only just to one another, but to the world that we live in. May we be a shining light in a dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll go back with me to verse number 5 and following. Paul begins this portion by dealing with the word therefore. And any time we have the word therefore or wherefore in Scripture, we want, to, we want to go back and look at what was there before this because that's what he's basing his, his, his conclusion on. And Paul writes this way quite often where he will write uh, a, uh, a passage uh, of uh, foundation and then he'll draw the conclusion. Of course, the Holy Spirit inspires him to write this way and gives him these words. But it's interesting to see the, the way that uh, by the time the conclusion is brought about in Scripture, there has been an unimpeachable foundation laid, a very solid, a very strong foundation. <coughs> so he's basing the things that he's saying from verse 5 and following to the end of the chapter based upon the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, based upon the need for people to be saved prior to the tribulation period so they don't have to go through these things. 
And he says, therefore, in light of eternity, in light of the things that are going to happen, in light of the seven years of tribulation that people are going to have to endure as God's wrath is poured out without mixture, without measure, without mercy, upon the sins of mankind, uh, so that they do not have to go through that. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, he says, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. In other words, there was a problem in the church in that day, in that day and that was that some people slept, and I'm not talking about the way we do on Sunday afternoon when pastors speak, preaching after we've had our bellies full in a warm room. But talking about sleeping here means not aware of, of the world around us, not aware of the things that are coming, and, and to not be uh, living in light of eternity. He says, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. There's two things he tells us that we're to do. We're to be watchful for this coming. We're to be mindful of it. We're to live with that thought in mind. And we are to be sober-minded. Now, I, 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 as I read this when I was younger... I thought, well, okay, so that means I need to be watchful uh, uh, spiritually. But when it talks about the soberness, he's talking about people there that drink and get drunk, and, and that's not that doesn't apply to me. But I realized something that he doesn't necessarily refer to alcoholic uh, drunkenness here. Notice what he talks about here. He's speaking about them being uh, awake and, and watchful about the events around them, about the things of eternity, keep them mindful, keep them in the foremost of our minds, that we'd be watchful of these things. But notice what he says when he gets down to verse number... uh, Let's go down to verse number uh, 7. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. In other words, there's a carnality there. Uh, There's a darkness there. And and again, he's taking the context of those in verse number 4 that he says, but brethren... Uh, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as the In other words, you, you're not lacking in understanding. So there are people here that are in darkness, uh, that, that don't understand these things, that are living a carnal life, and are not focusing on the spiritual implication of what Paul is speaking about here. And he's talking about them not sleeping. And this is, a, uh, this is a, one of those things when we come to Scripture... If the commons, if the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense, and so we don't try to over-spiritualize things. But this is one of those occasions where he's not talking about physical sleep. He's talking about the sleep of not understanding and not being aware of these things and being in darkness of these things. Because he says they that sleep, sleep in the night. They sleep in this time that, that there's a darkness there. They're not, they're not paying attention to these things. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. And once again, I don't believe this is speaking here of drunkenness that comes from drinking alcohol. But do you realize that it is possible in the world that you and I live in for us to be, in the sense that Paul is using this here, drunken in the sense that that we do not have the control of our minds the way that we should? If you think about it, a drunken man loses the ability to reason, to think to walk circumspectly, to be aware of his surroundings. And this, I believe, is what Paul is speaking of here when he speaks of not only sleeping, but not sleeping, but also not being drunken. In other words, don't be so encumbered with the things of this life. And by the way, Satan is doing this in the day we live by, by, by leaps and bounds. 
He's bringing, and I, I don't mean this to sound sacrilegious, but He's bringing the, the, the things of this world into the church house. And it's amazing how many churches in our world today are drunken with the affairs of the world. The entertainment of the world, the, 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 the appeal of the world, the sensuality of the world is making a bunch of people who I believe are, are some of them are saved, and I believe that they are sincere, but they are simply drunken with all of this enrichment of the world that comes upon them. And we, we try to bombard their, their senses. Can I tell you this? We don't need to bombard the senses of men in church. We need the Holy Spirit of God to move in a mighty way in the hearts of men. And so Paul is speaking here of being careful that, that they don't sleep, that they're not drunken, that they are watchful. Notice in verse 6, he tells them, but let us watch. That's the opposite of sleeping. And let us be sober. That's the opposite of drunkenness. What soberness are we talking about here? Are we talking about just not drinking wine or, or, or alcoholic beverages and, and losing our minds? No, I believe that Paul is speaking here that we are to be sober-minded on these things of eternity. Because he says, therefore, because of these things of eternity, they are so imminent, let us be watchful and let us be sober. There's two things that he tells us here. Watchful and sober. Now, as he goes on down, he tells us in verse number 8, But let us who are of the day be sober. What does he mean by that? Putting on the breastplate of faith. In other words, we're to be strong in this area of our faith. This is part of being sober-minded. That our faith be strong, that it not be shaken, that it be steadfast, that it be secure. That this faith grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I once believed what the Bible said, I'm not going to doubt it today. And in fact, if I have faith in it today, I'm going to try to have more faith in it tomorrow. I want that faith to grow. And he talks about us putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Those two things ought to be growing in the Christian life. And for an helmet, the hope of salvation... Up here, we should not be anxious about things. Why? Because we have a hope, and we've already talked about that earlier today, what this means in the Christian life. It's not a wishful thinking. It is a confidence in God being the one who promised, and He fulfilling that promise. Now, notice what he says here. For God hath not appointed us for wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to go through those things. The things that he spoke about during the tribulation time up there in verse number 3, we're not going through those. We've been delivered from that. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, (coughs) who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. So now notice what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, don't sleep. Watch. Don't be drunken. Be sober. But if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, whether you sleep or wake, you're still saved. Aren't you glad of that one? I'm glad of that one. He says, "Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake, 
and be at peace among yourselves. So, when he's talking here about being awake, being watchful, he's talking here about being sober-minded, there are some practical things that he starts with. Number one, he tells us here in verse number 9 that we're to esteem them uh, very highly in love for their work's sake, seeing those that are laboring in the Lord, and be at peace among yourselves. There ought to be a spirit of unity. There ought to be a spirit of family. There ought to be a spirit that, that, that is, is a time of peace and not of conflict and not of strife. Why? Because the Lord's coming is very, very soon. We don't have time to do those things. I'm amazed at how often uh, churches and people get uh, bent out of shape and, and get offended over such small and minuscule things in the church. And then they cause strife in the church. And cause division in the church. And then uh, somebody gets mad at so-and-so and somebody leaves and because of what so-and-so said. And, and, and I believe Satan does this on purpose. He sows discord among the brethren so that he can, he can stop the work of the Lord from going forward. If he can get us fighting amongst ourselves, then he can begin to sit back and take his ease because we're not doing what, he's, what God's called us to do. But he also tells us in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren... Warn them that are unruly. In other words, if there's some in there that are causing some device, warn them about this. Try to get it fixed. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Paul just begins to hit a list of them, doesn't he? Comfort the feeble-minded. These are folks that aren't fully mature in the faith. They have some questions. The church at Thessalonians, and again, if you understand why Paul's writing this letter, that phrase makes perfect sense, doesn't it? To comfort the people of mind. Why? Because there were some people whose family members had died, and they didn't know what was going to happen to them. They were expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't understand some doctrine. And so Paul said, listen, comfort them. Bring comfort to those that are feeble-minded. They don't, they're not fully mature. They haven't grown in this thing. Support the weak. Paul's the one that said, Brethren, if a, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness. We're not, to, we're, not to, we're not to kick and to condemn and to criticize the weak. We're to help the weak. We're to encourage them. We're to edify them. We're not to condone their weakness, but we're to help them. Paul tells us this. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. It's bad enough that he tells us to be patient, but when he tells us to be patient toward all men, that's, that's kind of meddling a little bit, Paul. Because the truth is, there's always that someone, isn't there, that just seems to hit your button, that rubs that nerve the wrong way. Uh, you're on your last nerve and they're on it, you know. And I've heard somebody say at one time, you know, we love everybody, but we don't always like everybody. And, you know, he said it this way, you'll cry at their funeral, you just won't take them on vacation with you. Uh, we need to be patient in those things. He says in verse 15, See that none render evil for evil to any man, whether it be a brother or, or someone in the world, someone that's lost. You don't, you, don't, you don't strike back. You don't give evil for evil. Why? Because we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be watchful. And we're supposed to be sober. We're supposed to be living every day with eternity in mind. And Paul's telling him, listen, don't render evil for evil to any man. 
You don't strike back at them. You don't, you don't make them pay for what they've done for you, done to you. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. There it is again. It's not just talking about the brethren. It's talking about every person. Why? Well, for number one, we have a testimony. We have a testimony that we need to uphold. And secondly, there's a world out there that's lost that we need to be busy winning to Christ. If we spend all of our time going around trying to get even with people that have done us wrong, we're not going to be doing the work that God's called us to do. Now he goes on to tell us here in verse number 16, Rejoice evermore. This ought to be characterizing of a Christian. When someone looks at my life, I hope that he sees these things. When someone looks at your life, knowing that you're a Christian, I hope he sees these things. That there's a kindness there. That we don't render evil for evil. That we comfort the feeble-minded. We support the weak. We are patient towards all men. I, I would hope that that would characterize us as Christians. He says this, rejoice evermore. Number seven, Verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. I remember as a kid thinking, Lord, that's going to be hard. I got things to do. Mom and Dad tell me I got to go empty the trash. I got to do my homework. How am I going to pray? And this idea of praying without ceasing, I think, was best described years ago with uh, Charles Spurgeon when his friends said, when they were on an outing with him, we never knew when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. We ought to step in and out of prayer with God so easily and naturally that when we speak with the Lord, people around us wouldn't know whether we're speaking to Him or speaking to them. It ought to be, it ought to be that which characterizes us as Christians, that we are a people of prayer. I remember as a, as a young college-age kid, I was in Bible school. I'd been raised in a pastor's home. I'd been saved a number of years now. And I'd already been preaching even before I went to uh, Bible college. And had had opportunities to be preaching uh, in some nursing homes. And as I was going through Bible college, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm, I'm learning some things. And, and boy, I, I'm, I'm probably one of these God's gift to the ministry kind of fellas. You know, that's how we feel when we're young. And I was working at the time to, to support myself in, in college at, at Chick-fil-A, which is a wonderful food place to, to work at. If you're a Christian especially, it was a blessing. I had to... The fellow that operated was a good Christian friend of mine. He's been a great blessing. In fact, just about a year or so ago, got in touch with him again after 20-some years. What a blessing he's been. And um, I, I, was, I was remembering, I had, I had a burden on my heart uh, one day, and there was a, a teenage young lady that worked with us and went to another church there in town, a Baptist church in town. And her name was Christy. And I, I walked up to her after, one afternoon. She said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. I said, but I, I've got a prayer request I'm going to ask for you if you wouldn't mind praying. Uh, for me, and and the operator, uh, Bill Dorman, he came down the steps about the time she was there, and we were standing there on that middle le- le- uh, level, and he overheard us. And uh, I said, would you guys be praying about this? It's a very serious matter of prayer. And you know how we do. We ask people to pray for us, and they say, okay, I'll be praying about that, and then, then go on. But not this young lady. I asked her to pray about it, and she said, okay, let's pray. And she bowed her head right there. And Bill said, absolutely, let's pray. And we all joined hands right there on that landing and immediately began to pray. That was as foreign to me. I mean, people would ask me to pray for things for them before, and I thought, okay, I'll put you on my prayer list. I'll be praying about that. 
But she was natural in going to the Lord in prayer just at any time. What a blessing that was to my heart to see that. Paul tells them, you need to pray without ceasing. It ought to be part of the the thing that characterizes your life as a Christian. In everything, give thanks. That's a hard one to do. (coughs) Hard one to do. Because there's some things that we're not always uh, real happy about that happen in our lives, but we need to be thankful for them. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then he comes to verse 19. I want you to, I'm going to spend a minute on this. Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell us. We know that. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You're bought with a price. We know that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, and He abides with us. When we get saved, we get, as far as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we get as much of the Holy Spirit as we're ever going to get. Jesus told His disciples to go into all the world and gave them that commission that they would go out and preach. But He did say, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued, it's an interesting word, with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, he says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Not in you, but upon you. You shall receive uh, that power. And, and, and during that early church days, he moved in mighty ways and came upon men and did apostolic sign gifts that we've talked about that we do not believe are in existence today. They were there in that day to validate the ministry. But there is no doubt that the power of the Holy Spirit works in us And it is possible for you and I to quench the working that He longs to do in our lives. So much so that when John wrote Revelation in the letter that was dictated to him to write to the church at Laodicea, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Wait a minute. If if He's indwelling us, why is He standing at our heart's door knocking? Is it because there's been something that we've done to stifle or quench the Holy Spirit's working in our lives? There's more to what the Holy Spirit can do in us and through us than just His indwelling. And that is the work that He does. The fact that He wants to come upon us in full power and be able to use us I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about faith healing. I'm talking about power and service to do the work God's given us to do. I think even to the point of the work that God intends for Him to do, not just through us, but on the inner man too. This would be conviction of our own sin. Conviction of things that are not right in our life. That there are things we can do to quench the Holy Spirit from doing that. I'm not. Don't raise your hand, but aren't we glad for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives? It's not always enjoyable. I'm not saying that we like it, but we are glad for it because it is so needful to us. And it is possible for even a Christian. Not we're not talking about lost people here, but it is possible for even a Christian to quench the Holy Spirit doing the work in our hearts that He longs to do. Not just the the empowering to do the service uh, and the work of the Lord. But it is possible to quench Him even when it comes to our own consciences. 
that we can grow callous and cold, that our consciences can become seared. It is possible for a Christian to do that. And Paul tells him, listen, in light of eternity, time is short. We don't have a lot of time here. Life is a vapor. Brother Rich and I were talking about that. He came up to me after the service and mentioned that. That passage of Scripture, life is a vapor that appeareth for a little while and vanisheth away. You say, well, I've got all this time in front of me. Time is short. And whether by rapture or by death, we don't have a whole lot of time. So we need to make sure that we do not quench the Holy Spirit. We need Him every moment of every day. We need Him dealing with our inner man, helping us to become more of what we ought to be on the inside. But we also need Him to deal with us in our service. And I talk, when I talk to somebody about the gospel message, I don't have the ability that the Lord Jesus Christ had when He was in His earthly ministry. You see, He could see the heart of a man. Anybody here have that gift? I don't have it either. But the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me does see the heart of that man. And He can enable the work that I do to have the power of Him resting upon it to bring to mind the things that are needful to be said to help that person come to Christ. And we need to be dependent upon Him in our work, in our labor. I, I, from time to time, people will ask me, what kind of Baptist church are you? And by that they mean Southern Baptist, you know, Missionary Baptist, what kind of Baptist are you? General Baptist, whatever. And I, I say, we are an independent Baptist church because we don't answer to some hierarchy. But the truth of the matter is, we are a very dependent church because we do depend upon the Holy Spirit to do a work here. It's not, it's not uh, having the best-looking pastor, and I know you have that. It's not having the best uh, orator or preacher or personality. But it is having a church that longs to have the Holy Spirit of God work through them as we study Scripture to do and to be obedient in the things that He leads us to do and to have His power to aid us in doing the work that God has called us to do. And we need to be careful that we do not quench that spirit. These are things that, again, in light of eternity, Paul is exhorting this church in. These are things you need to to grow in. These are things you need to to be steadfast in. Don't let them slip. Quench not the spirit. Verse number 20, despise not prophesyings. We don't have new prophecy being given today. We have the completed revelation of God in our Bibles. But the prophecy that has been given, don't despise it. You know, the Bible tells us that the commands of God are not grievous. To a Christian, they're not. To a lost man, they may look at that and say, well, that's just, God is, is just raining on my parade. I mean, he's just, he's just really squelching my personality here. But the truth is, for a Christian, there is a love that we have in being obedient to Christ. There's a longing to do it. In fact, when we don't do it, it seems to seems to bother us in a way that it didn't used to before we got saved. It brings conviction to our hearts. Despise not prophesying. Then he says, verse 21, I think this is something a lot of Christians could take hold of today. Prove all things. Prove all things. Check everything with Scripture. Check it with Scripture. 
I'll tell you right away, this pastor that stands in this pulpit is not perfect. And while I strive to understand and I strive to teach correctly and rightly divide things, there are times I'll make a mistake on something. The last time I did it was when I thought I made a mistake and I was really right. I'm just kidding. This pastor is not perfect. By the way, let me help you with something. In case you're trying to find the church that has one that is, there are none. I want you to understand this, that you, as a, as a child of God, holding the Bible in your hands, are responsible, even in the messages that I preach from this pulpit, to prove all things from Scripture. Don't just take a man's word for it. Find it in Scripture. Make sure it's right. I've told numbers of you, my, my door is open. Figuratively speaking, I'm not a good housekeeper, so we'll probably meet out on the porch. But I will say this, and I mean it. If I'm wrong on an issue of doctrine in this book, I need you to come show me. Because I'm not trying to just have, a, have a, an ego of I'm always right on things regarding Scripture. I have a desire to be accurate in doctrine on Scripture because it means the eternity of a man's soul if I'm wrong. Don't hesitate to come to me. And if you can show me from Scripture, that's the key. Don't come to me and say, well, every preacher I've ever heard preaches this. That that holds no weight with me. You show me from Scripture that I'm wrong on the doctrine. I'll change because I want to be right. It's important that we preach this book truthfully and in its entirety. So prove all things... And it's interesting that Paul put it in this order. He said, prove all things. And then he says this, hold fast that which is good. In other words, once you've proved it, the stuff you find to be right, the stuff you find to be good, hold fast to it. Don't don't waver in it. Be steadfast in it. Anchor yourself to it. And have the authority to say, this is what the Bible says. I was talking to a lady about two or three months ago, and we were dealing, it was a counseling issue, and her and her family were there, Mom and dad and another married lady uh, that was there and, and some family issues and dealing with some stuff. And, uh, and I made a statement. And, uh, and she said, I don't agree with that. <coughs> and I looked at her and I said, the truth is, I don't either in my flesh. My flesh doesn't like that. But it's what the Bible says. And even though my flesh tends to, tends to bristle at that, my spirit, years ago, was yielded to say, Lord, I don't want what the flesh wants. I want what Your Word says. And I told her, I said, I made a choice a long time ago that when there's a conflict between my flesh and this book, that I am always going to take this book over my flesh. There are things it tells us that we don't like to hear. There's even some things that we look at and we say, boy, that's not the way I see it. It doesn't matter because that's the way God sees it. So hold fast to it. Hold fast to it. Don't be shaken in it. If someone can show you from Scripture where you're wrong, be willing to look at it in Scripture and say, Lord, show me. Make sure I'm rightly dividing it. And then make the change. But once you've found it to be good, once you've found it to be solid, hold fast to it. Hold fast to it. Number uh, Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Again, this ought to characterize a Christian's life. Very practical things, things that you and I can 
can sink our teeth into today and make happen in our lives. Abstain from all appearance of evil. There are some things, Paul said uh, to the Corinthian church, in fact, in two different places, he says, all things are lawful for me. But in one place he said, all things are not expedient. And in the second place he said, and I will not be brought under the power of any. Even though it's lawful doesn't mean it's expedient. So we abstain from it. There are things that appear evil that may or may not be. But we're not going to do it because we may cause a brother or a sister to fall. There's liberty that we have in Christ that sometimes we say, I'm going to lay aside that liberty so that I do not offend another brother or become a stumbling block to them. We've got to be careful that we abstain from all appearances of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. God is the one that does the sanctifying work, by the way. In case you haven't gotten that over the last several weeks of teaching, it's when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us that He begins that work of sanctifying us and setting us apart, cleaning the vessel, causing it to become a vessel that is more and more worthy to be able to be used of the Lord, more and more able to be used of the Lord, I guess would be the better wording of that. And he says, And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. If you don't get anything out of this lesson this afternoon, all of those things that Paul lists, some of you may say, boy, that, that seems impossible to do. The Bible tells us at the very end of it, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He'll continue to do it. He'll give you the strength. We need to live with eternity in mind. And with eternity in mind, we need to look at our lives and live them on the things that Paul addresses the church at Thessalonica about. We need to warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, patient toward all men. Don't render evil for evil. Follow that which is good. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. And abstain from all appearance of evil. That's a pretty good list. When you get all of that done, this is your homework assignment. You get all that done. And your life is able, you're able to come and say, Pastor, that entire list is now applied in my life. Come back and we'll give you some more. Okay? Because it's in the Scriptures. The truth is, these are things we're always going to be working on, aren't they? We never quite get to the point where we can just dust ourselves off and say, okay, I got that one done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But it is something that every single day of our lives we need to work on and become more like Him. And after all, that's what Paul was after in that letter. He was trying to tell the church at Thessalonica, you've been steadfast, but don't get stagnant. Don't sleep. Don't be drunken. Be watchful and be sober. Because the return of the Lord is imminent. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless the teaching of it this afternoon, the preaching of it throughout the day. May You use it in our hearts. Father, it's so important, so vitally important.